Jesus said is that it is expedient for you that I go away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit, your comforter that will come alongside and comfort you. And that is the way that we typically like to relate to the Holy Spirit. It's nice to know him as our paracletus, as our comforter, the one that comes alongside. But as I'm sure many of you noticed, I prayed this morning that he would make us uncomfortable because that also is, is his ministry to us. He was sent to convict and to, and to convince us of sin and to reveal to us dark areas in our lives where we need to have the Holy Spirit enlighten us by his word. The Lord typically deals in my life in a way such that he, he very often opens wounds before he can heal them. And that is often painful. And he often shows me things that are difficult for my flesh to accept because I don't like to be wrong. And I don't like to admit that I don't see things and know things as clearly as I would like to think that I do. David said in the Psalms, from the words of God, he said, Open wide thy mouth and I will fill it. That is God speaking to his people. If you will allow this morning the Holy Spirit to open wide your mouth, I'm going to make every attempt to fill it with salt, to make you thirsty and to convict you and to convince you. I, many of you know, have been battling with pneumonia and various and diverse and sundry illnesses the last two months, more so than I ever have before. And a lot of people come up to me and ask me how I'm doing, and I don't really always know how to answer them because I'm almost unsure of what it feels like to feel 100%. It's been so long since I've felt really well. So I don't really know if I'm 60 or 70 or 80%. I know I'm not 100%. And I think that very often we can become spiritually dehydrated in the same way and become content in one place for too long and not really realize that we should be thirsting much more than we really are. Perhaps there's some mountains that you've encompassed long enough and the Lord would have you to move on and ascend and descend those mountains and meet the next valley and then approach the, the next mountain. I just pray that this morning that you would simply allow the Holy Spirit to meet you where you are, to search your heart, to see if there be any wicked way in you or any shortcoming that he would like to deal with. It has been said that there is so much good in the worst of us in so much bad in the best of us that it is hard to tell which one of us ought to reform the rest of us. The point is, is that we all have room to grow. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you have to begin to grow. If you are a Christian, you have room to grow. And we all fall far short of what God has intended for us. I think we can all openly admit that to one another. And God forbid, and I say that sarcastically, make a note of that, sarcastically, God forbid, but we do not, read my lips, do not understand the things of the Spirit very well. We do not understand the things of the Spirit. We are earthly people. We're bound in a physical time and space dimension, and we very, very often relate to things on the physical earthly realm. We do not understand the things of the Spirit very well. Whether you're a new Christian or old, there are things that you don't understand as well as you should. And we're going to begin this morning in our text in, in Mark chapter 8. 
and we're going to skip around and see some examples of this, but this is going to be the principal text, beginning with uh, verse 22 through verse 25. We'll read it together and go back through and take a little bit closer look at it. Scripture says, And he came to Bethsaida, and there they brought a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up, and he said, I see men like trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes, and made him look up. And he was restored, and saw every man clearly. Now, we have an extraordinary incident here in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ and in the receiving of a healing on the part of this blind man. The way that Jesus chose to heal this man was not haphazard, nor was it accidental. He could have simply said, Receive thy sight, and it would have been done. He did that in many other instances. But he altered his technique for a good reason. I believe it was to provide an object lesson to his disciples and also to us. It was a healing that Jesus performed, but it was also a parable that he worked out in their presence to show them something through an object lesson. They asked Jesus to touch him. Jesus instead chose to take him by the hand and lead him out of town. It's almost no wonder that he did because the next thing that he intended to do is spit in his eyes. He probably didn't want the people in town to see what he was doing. Jesus asks him if he sees anything. And he answers and he says, I see men like trees walking. Make a, a mental note of his honesty and his answer to the Lord because we're going to come back to that in time. And it's going to provide to be very significant. Jesus touched him again and he saw things clearly. Again, we have an extraordinary healing in the life of Jesus at this time. It was an interesting sort of an, an experience for the man that was healed. It, it's a peculiar kind of thing. It, it's even weird the way God chose to work. We have God himself spitting in someone's eyes. Now, after he spit in his eyes and he asked him if he saw clearly, he saw men as trees walking, and he had to touch him a second time. Now the question arises, did God fail to heal him completely the first time? If we know God in the Scriptures and understand that God is omnipotent and he is omniscient and every other omni you can come up with, we realize that he didn't fail to heal him. He chose to do it in this manner, to provide for us an object lesson and really a parabolic healing. And to really understand why he did this, as always, we want to examine this healing in the context of the scriptures. So going back to the beginning of chapter 8, backtracking, we'll recap what has happened in leading up to this. What is happening is that Jesus has been ministering to over 4,000 people, and he has compassion on the multitudes because he's about to send them away. And they're hungry, and he realizes that many of them have come from afar off. And he doesn't want to send them away hungry because he's afraid that they're going to faint on the way back. So the disciples begin to freak out. 
And they say, where are we going to find bread enough for all these people in the wilderness? Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? They said they had seven and a few fishes. So Jesus says, well, bring them to me. He broke them and he blessed them and he fed the 4,000. And they took up seven baskets that were left. Now, subsequent to this, in fact, it says straightway he entered into a boat. In other words, almost immediately following this, he entered into a boat. And the Pharisees came up and they began to question him and they began to seek a sign of him. Whereupon Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit because he was grieved that these men, he knew their hearts, they wanted to test him and they sought his signs and not himself. And he turned to his disciples and he said to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which the disciples thought meant that Jesus was angry with them because they did not have any bread. Now notice verse 17 through 21. And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Have you yet your heart hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves among the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that you do not understand? Jesus' own disciples in the spiritual realm saw men as trees walking. They did not understand the things of the Spirit. They were too used to perceiving things from an earthly, physical realm. And they were learning and growing to understand and perceive the things of the Spirit. Notice also what follows this, this healing, which was also intended to be a parable. In verse 27, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said unto them, You are the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Now, in another gospel, when Peter says, You are the Christ, Jesus turns to him and he says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed these things to you, but my Father which is in heaven. A supernatural revelation from God. One of the first man to confess that Jesus was indeed the Christ. Now, T, uh, Peter, in, in his uh, typical dealings with the Lord, moments later, puts his foot in his mouth. He turns around after Jesus is speaking of the method of God's method for salvation, that he must suffer and die and rise again. Now, now remember, Peter has just said, Jesus, you are the Christ. In other words, he knew that he was God manifest in the flesh. 
And moments later, he takes God himself by the arm and rebukes him for saying the things that he said. And he savored the things of men more than the things of God. Peter, in the spiritual realm, saw men as trees walking. He did not understand the things of the Spirit very well. Now, I want to go through and, and show you in the Scriptures that, that this is not uh, an exclusive little thing that's been set apart by the Lord in, in terms of, of men not understanding the things of the Spirit. But I'm, I'm going to take a look, we're going to take a look at an Old Testament example, a parabolic example, and tragically enough, an example even in heaven of this very same thing, men not understanding the things of the Spirit. And... What I'm going to do with regard to the Old Testament example is instead of reading through it because it encompasses about four or five chapters in 1 Samuel, I'm just going to sort of uh, tell you a story this morning about a little drama in 1 Samuel, the principal characters being Eli and his sons and Hannah and Samuel. And as we read, we see that Eli and his sons are described as priests of the Lord. They are found hanging around the church, performing priestly duties. Eli is even even found exercising spiritual gifts. He's prophesying, and he prophesies to Hannah. As we read on, we find that the Scripture declares that Eli's sons were worthless men, and they knew not the Lord. One of the reasons for that is because the Scripture also says that Eli knew the iniquity of his sons, but he esteemed his sons above the Lord. He put his sons first in his life instead of God. And as a result, his sons became wicked. Now, Hannah and Samuel are there as really a standard of comparison for Eli, even though he was oblivious to this. Hannah was a woman that was barren and it was deeply grieved about it, and she prayed earnestly before the Lord, and God blessed her and answered her prayer and gave her a son. Now, she was an example of a godly parent. She was an example of a parent that consecrated her children to the Lord. And consequently, Samuel was an example of a godly son because he was raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The interesting thing is that we see really the Holy Spirit lurking in the background in this little drama because for a period of years, even though Eli and his sons, and especially Eli, were disobedient to the word of the Lord, his sons really were the consequence of that, God sent a special delivery message via Hannah and Samuel day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year to speak to Eli and basically said, look, here it is. This is my example of what type of parent I want you to be. And this is the example of the son, the type of of sons I wish you would have if you would simply obey me. Hannah and her husband came yearly to a place called Shiloh to offer sacrifice to the Lord where Eli was. Hannah discussed in detail the nature of her prayers with Eli, and she discussed in detail her relationship with God and how that related to her relationship with her son. Year after year after year after year, God sent Hannah to Eli to speak to him 
that this area of his life was lacking, that he did not see clearly his duties before God as a parent. If that is not enough, Samuel was consecrated to the Lord and he was left in Shiloh. So day after day after day and month after month after month and year after year, Samuel was right there and the scripture says several times, and Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. God sent those circumstances into Eli's life to speak to him through really a supernatural sort of special delivery message. But Eli saw men as trees walking. He even prophesied to Hannah what type of a blessing her son was going to be to her. And he was so busy with his priestly duties and ministering to the Lord that he never recognized that that very same thing should still uh, should also uh, apply to his life. He saw ministries walking. I wonder how many of us this morning are oblivious to little special delivery messages that God is attempting to speak to us through in the circumstances of our lives and the special people that He raises up to be examples to us. I wonder how many of us this morning are like Eli and we figure that we're so spiritual that I must be there for her sake rather than she for my sake. You see, we need to humble ourselves and be willing to admit that there's people out there that are there to minister to us as well. Eli saw ministries walking. He had a relationship with God and he understood clearly what Hannah's relationship with God should be with regard to her son, but he was oblivious to the fact that his life was spiritually desolate in that same area. Turn to Luke chapter 15. This portion of Scripture is commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. I like to refer to it as the parable of the prodigal's brother. The common message that you'll find in this portion of Scripture is with regard to the parable, with regard to the prodigal. His brother has a lot to speak to us as well. And we're going to read quickly verse 11 through 32 so that we can examine this in context, but basically just take the last few Scriptures and take a look at them a little more closely. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants, And he arose and came to his father. 
But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. And they began to be merry. Now notice, his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Your brother is come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he said, answering to his father, Look, Dad, I have served you for many years, and I have never transgressed at any time one of your commandments, and you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Notice his attitude as he speaks to his father. But as soon as this your son was come, who's devoured your living with harlots, you've killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was fitting that we should make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Verse 28 says that the prodigal's brother was angry. Why was he angry? Because he saw men as trees walking. His relationship with God the Father had become legalistic. It was based on works and not grace. He had a relationship with God, but he did not see it clearly. He fell far short of what God intended for him. His relationship with God was on the wrong basis. It was based on works and not on grace. He saw ministries walking. You know, the scripture says that we should weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. What we see here is somebody that rejoices with those that weep and somebody that weeps with those that rejoice. He was jealous of his brother who is destined for hell but when he repented and came back and the, and the father accepted him, he was angry. He wept because his father and his other brother rejoiced. And it is very easy for us to slip into legalist, a legalistic relationship with God and, and to just really fall from our first love and to serve him out of a duty instead of a vital, loving relationship with him that motivates us to serve him because we love him and because it's a joy to us the prodigal's brother saw men as trees walking he had a relationship with god but it was vague and unclear and blurry he fell far short of what god intended for him now what would clear vision have shown him verse 31 the father said unto him son you are ever with me all that i have is yours if you relate to your father this morning on that basis that you are ever with God and all that he has is yours, then you see clearly 
this morning. But if you don't, if you find yourself weeping when others rejoice, if you find yourself jealous of the blessings of other people and the way God has chosen to touch them, you don't see clearly this morning your relationship with God or with the body of Christ. We are all one. And when one member suffers, the rest of us should suffer. If we don't, then we see ministries walking. We need a supernatural revelation from the Holy Spirit to show us these deep things of God that apart from His miraculous intervention and revelation in our lives, we will never comprehend because we're carnal, earthbound men and women. And we need to understand more clearly the things of the Spirit. The prodigal's brother saw ministries walking. Whereas God would have him say, Father, all that you have is mine. I love you and I rejoice that my brother is returned and it is not lost anymore, that he is alive and not dead. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> We're going to take a little glimpse out of this time and space dimension into a heavenly picture that Jesus has provided for us. And we're going to see something that's both a blessing but also very tragic, beginning with verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come unto you? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto you? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it, unto, did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
First of all, notice that wicked goats are saying the same thing as righteous sheep. Standing before God in judgment. Or perhaps it would hit a little more close to home to say that his righteous sheep are saying the same thing as wicked goats. The world for me. And that is identifying God's people just a little bit too closely with the lack of spiritual understanding that the world has and that you would expect from them. We are called to be peculiar people, set apart, enlightened, having been shown things from the Holy Spirit that carnal men do not understand. The Scripture says that the carnal mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. We see here saved people standing before God in judgment. This is the judgment of works, good and bad. But they're in heaven and they've made it. And they've accepted Jesus Christ and they've had a relationship with Him. But they saw men as trees walking. When Jesus commended them and even rewarded them for doing things unto Him through strangers that they took in and feeding hungry people and giving thirsty people things to drink, their response was, What? When did we do that? Is it possible to go through your entire life as a Christian seeing men as trees walking? It is. These people spent their entire lives on earth as Christians not fully comprehending and understanding what they were doing in service to God. Now, had they understood that more clearly, how much more would they have done the things that God is commending them and rewarding them for? When I get to heaven, I do not want to ask God dumb questions. When did I do that, Lord? You're kidding. I didn't know that. It's like taking spiritual pot shots and hoping that you hit the target once in a while in your life. But if you understand the things of the Spirit and you see things clearly and in the spiritual realm you do not see men as trees walking, you'll be found involved in those activities that God wants us to be in much, much more than, than you would otherwise if you did not understand these things. They did not see the things of the Spirit very clearly. They saw ministries walking. They did not understand that they were doing it unto Jesus Christ. If any of these examples hit home with you, if you find yourself identifying with some of the shortcomings and lack of spiritual insight that some of these people and these examples have shown us, then in just a minute we're going to go back to Mark and we're going to take a look at some things that will help you to see more clearly that you will not continue to see ministries walking. But here in Matthew 25, as we look at this example, we've been taught this scripture a lot. Jesse shared it with us. Lenya shared it with us the other night. Skip has shared it time and time again. We may think, that doesn't really apply to me. I know, I understand that. That's one thing that I see clearly. I want to ask you to do something real briefly for me for a specific reason. I want you to take just a second and look to the person on your right hand and on your left, in front of you and behind.
Now, Jesus said in verse 40, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. I wonder how many of us have said at times, Oh, if Jesus were only here, I'd kneel at his feet and I'd cry and I'd wash his feet with my tears and I'd wipe them dry with my hair. And I'd run and I'd get my most precious alabaster box of ointment and I'd anoint him. There's so many things that I would do for Jesus if I were here. Jesus said in verse 40, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now that's hard for us to comprehend because when you look to your right hand and to your left and in front of you and behind, do you see Jesus? Now see, he's not there in the physical realm. But he has so identified himself with his body that he is sitting next to you. And if you would be willing to do those things for Jesus Christ, but not for the person next to you, perhaps you see ministries walking. Because you don't fully understand the spiritual unity of the body and of Christ's identification with his people. I can understand why it would be difficult for you to say, I, I could do that for the Lord, but not to someone else. Because we don't understand the things of the Spirit that clearly, and we don't have the love that we wished we did. But don't despair, because Jesus is sitting in the same seat that you are also. And He has given you the anointing and the power and the promises and everything that you need to live a victorious, godly, loving, enlightened, clear-visioned life. By all means, do not ever attempt to do any of these things on your own because you will fail miserably. The second half of the gospel is not only are you saved from sin, but Jesus rose from the dead and he's given you the power to do what you cannot do for yourself. So if you want to change and if you want to see things clearly and if you want to minister to the body as though it were Christ himself, then you better begin on your knees because otherwise it's never going to work and you're never going to see things clearly. Now, if these things convict you and if you feel a little thirsty after some of this scripture, if you'd like to change and if you'd like to see things more clearly, go back to Mark chapter 8. And I want to share with you a few things that you'll want to do in an effort to begin to see things more clearly. Verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. If you do not want to see ministries walking in your life anymore, then get alone with Jesus. It's the only way it's ever going to happen. And I know that's hard because we live in an age of anxiety and everything is push and shove and go, go, go. But if you're tired of spiritual myopia, then take the time and get alone with Jesus. Let Him come and take you by the hand and take you out of town and spend time alone with Him. 
Or maybe you should seek him out and take him by the hand and get alone with him. Number two, verse 23 also. And when he had spit on his eyes, that is weird. Are you willing to let God do things his way in your life? If Jesus sees it fit to spit on your eyes so that you can see more clearly, will you stand there and submit to that and let him do things the way that he wants to? If you want to see the body of Christ as a a unit and as identified with Jesus the way he has, if, if he asks you to do something for a brother or sister in the Lord that you really just don't like very much or you have a personality conflict with or whatever, and he tells you to go and do something for them out of love, are you willing to use his methods so that you can see clearly? There's a cost involved. It's called humility. It's not fun to have somebody spit in your eyes. But if you get alone with Jesus and he tells you to do something, be willing to do things his way. Either that or be content with seeing ministries walking. It's your choice. You can do it your way or you can do it his. Number three, verse 24. And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. Will you be honest in your relationship with him and with your brothers and sisters in Christ? When he asks you what you see, will you tell him that you see ministries walking or will you try and pull one over on God himself? Will you take him aside and rebuke him like Peter did? Or will you tell him in all humility, I just don't see things very clearly, Lord, and I I just wish I did. I see ministries walking and I'm confused. Or perhaps even harder, inasmuch as we've talked about Christ identifying himself with his people, if one of your brothers or sisters in Christ comes up to you and asks you how you're doing, will you put aside your adornment of spiritual facade and will you be honest with them? And will you tell them, I'm really having trouble with my faith right now. I really don't quite understand the grace of God. I'm just bound by a legal relationship with the Lord and I need your prayers and your help because I see ministries walking. I'm not perfect yet and I have room to grow and there are things that I need to see more clearly. Or will you put on the typical smile and quote all of the Christian quotable quotes and go away spiritually blind? It's called the cross. It's called being willing to die to yourself. If you will lose your life, you will find it. If you seek to save it, you'll lose it. It's as simple as that. The Word of God is very clear. There's, there's no in-between. It's, it's either death to self or alive to self. You die to yourself and you become like Him. If you don't, you remain spiritually blind and dwarfed in your growth. And lastly, verse 25, after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. If you see ministries walking, don't despair. It's no big deal. All of us do. We've seen lots of examples of that. If the people around you were honest with you, they'd tell you the same thing. Most of us aren't. 
but some of us will choose to be, don't despair. The Lord is there. He asks you for a reason because He wants to take away your spiritual blindness. And it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of to require a second touch from the Lord. You don't have to be made perfect in one touch. It's a process. It's a growing relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Allow Him to touch you the second time. Get alone with Him. Do things His way. Be honest with Him and His people. And you'll begin to see things more 